0: THE FRENCH REVOLUTION, A HISTORY, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 1. Book 4, States General, Chapter 2, The Election. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Peter Dan. Book 4, Chapter 2, The Election. Up then, and be doing! The royal signal word flies through France, As through vast forests the rushing of a mighty wind at parish churches in town halls and every house of convocation by bailiages by seneschalces in whatever form men convene there with confusion enough are primary assemblies forming to elect your electors such is the form prescribed then to draw up your writ of plaints and grievances cahiers de plaintes doléances, of which latter there is no lack With such virtue works this royal January edict as it rolls rapidly in its leathern mails along these frost-bound highways towards all the four winds, like some fiat or magic spell-word which such things do resemble. For always, as it sounds out at the market-cross, Accompanied with trumpet-blast, Presided by Bayi Seneschal, or other minor functionary, With beef-eaters, or in country-churches Is droned forth after sermon, Or prone a mess par And is registered, posted, and let fly all over the world, You behold how this multitudinous French people, So long simmering and buzzing in eager expectancy, Begins heaping and shaping itself into organic groups which organic groups again hold smaller organic grouplets. The inarticulate buzzing becomes articulate speaking and acting. By primary assembly and then by secondary, by successive elections and infinite elaboration and scrutiny according to prescribed process, shall the genuine plaint and grievances be at length got to paper, shall the fit national representative be at length laid hold of, How the whole people shakes itself as if it had one life, and in thousand-voiced rumour announces that it is awake, suddenly out of long death-sleep, and will thenceforth sleep no more. The long-looked-for has come at last. Wondrous news of victory, deliverance, enfranchisement, sounds magical through every heart. To the proud strong man it has come, whose strong hand shall no more be guived, to whom bountless unconquered continents lie disclosed. The weary day drudge has heard of it, the beggar with his crusts moistened in tears. What to us also has hope reached down even to us? Hunger and hardship are not to be eternal? the bread we extorted from the rugged glebe and with the toil of our sinews reaped and ground and kneaded into loaves was not wholly for another then but we also shall eat of it and be filled glorious news Answered the prudent elders but all too unlikely thus at any rate may the lower people who pay no money taxes and have no right to vote assiduously crowd round those that do and most halls of assembly, with indoors and without, seem animated enough. Paris alone of towns is to have representatives, the number of them twenty. Paris is divided into sixty districts, each of which, assembled in some church or the like, is choosing two electors. Official deputations pass from district to district, for all is inexperienced as yet, and there is endless consulting. The streets swarm strangely with busy crowds, pacific yet restless and loquacious. At intervals is seen the gleam of military muskets, especially about the Palais, where Parliament, once more on duty, sits querulous, almost tremulous. Busy is the French world. In those great days what poorest speculative craftsman but will leave his workshop, if not to vote, yet to assist in voting? on all highways is a rustling and bustling over the wide surface of france ever and anon through the spring months as the sower casts his corn abroad among the furrows sounds of congregating and dispersing of crowds in deliberation acclamation voting by ballot and by voice rise discrepant towards the ear of heaven to which political phenomena add this economical one that trade is stagnant and also bread getting dear. For before the rigorous winter there was, as we said, a rigorous summer with drought, and on the thirteenth of July with destructive hail. What a fearful day! All cried while that tempest fell. Alas, the next anniversary of it will be worse. Under such aspect is France electing national representatives. The incidents and specialties of these elections belong not to universal, but to local or parish history. For which reason, let not the new troubles of Grenoble or Besançon, the bloodshed on the streets of Rennes and consequent march thither of the Breton young men with manifesto by their mothers, sisters and sweethearts, nor such like, detain us here. It is the same sad history everywhere, with superficial variations. A reinstated Parliament, as at Besançon, which stands astonished at this behemoth of a states-general it had itself evoked, starts forward with more or less audacity to fix a thorn in its nose, and alas is instantaneously struck down and hurled quite out, for the new popular force can use not only arguments but brickbats or else, and perhaps combined with this, it is an order of noblesse, as in Brittany, which will beforehand tie up the third estate, that it harm not the old privileges. In which act of tying up, never so skilfully set about, there is likewise no possibility of prospering, but the behemoth briareus snaps your cords like green rushes. Tie up? Alas, monsieur! And then, as for your chivalry rapiers, valour and wager of battle, think one moment. How can that answer? The plebeian heart, too, has red life in it, which changes not to paleness at glance even of you. And the six hundred Breton gentlemen, assembled in arms for seventy-two hours in the Cordelia's cloister at Rennes, have to come out again, wiser than they entered. For the Nantes youth, the Angers youth, all Brittany was astir. Mothers, sisters and sweethearts shrieking after the march. The Breton noblesse must even let the mad world have its way. In other provinces the noblesse with equal goodwill finds it better to stick to protests, to well-redacted cahiers of grievances and satirical writings and speeches. Such is partially their course in Provence, whither indeed Gabriel Honore Ricchetti, Comte de Mirabeau, has rushed down from Paris to speak a word in season. In Provence, the privileged, backed by their A Parliament, discover that such novelties, enjoined though they be by royal edict, tend to national detriment, and what is still more indisputable, to impair the dignity of the noblesse. Whereupon Mirabeau, protesting aloud, this same noblesse, amid huge tumult, within doors and without, flatly determines to expel him from their assembly. No other method, not even that of successive duels, would answer with him, the obstreperous, fierce, glaring man, expelled he accordingly is. In all countries, at all times, exclaims he, departing, the aristocrats have implacably pursued every friend of the people, and with tenfold implacability, if such a one were himself born of the aristocracy. It was thus that the last of the Gracchi perished by the hands of the patricians. But he, being struck with the mortal stab, flung dust towards heaven, and called on the avenging deities, and from this dust there was born Marius. Marius, not so illustrious for exterminating the Cimbri, as for overturning in Rome the tyranny of the nobles. Casting up which new curious handful of dust through the printing-press, to breed what it can and may, Mirabeau stalks forth into the third estate. That he now, to ingratiate himself with this third estate, opened a cloth-shop in Marseilles, and for moments became a furnishing tailor, or even the fable that he did so, is to us always among the pleasant memorabilities of this era. Stranger Clothier never wielded the L-wand, and rent webs for men or fractional parts of men. The fils Adoptif is indignant at such disparaging fable, which nevertheless was widely believed in those days. But indeed, of Achilles in the heroic age killed mutton, why should not Mirabeau in the unheroic ones measure broadcloth? More authentic are his triumph progresses through that disturbed district, with mob jubilee, flaming torches, windows hired for two Louis, and voluntary guard of a hundred men. He is deputy-elect both of A and of Marseille, but will prefer A. He has opened his far-sounding voice, the depths of his far-sounding soul. He can quell, such virtue is in a spoken word, the pride-tumults of the rich, the hunger-tumults of the poor, and wild multitudes move under him as under the moon do billows of the sea. He has become a world-compeller and ruler over men. One other incident and specialty we note, with how different an interest... It is of the Parliament of Paris, which starts forward, like the others, only with less audacity, seeing better how it lay, to nose-ring that behemoth of a States-General. Worthy Dr Guillotin, respectable practitioner in Paris, has drawn up his little plan of a cahier of doléances as had he not, having the wish and gift, the clearest liberty to do, he is getting the people to sign it, whereupon the surly Parliament summons him to give an account of himself. He goes, but with all Paris at his heels, which floods the outer courts and copiously signs the Caille even there, while the doctor is giving account of himself within. The Parliament cannot too soon dismiss Guillotin with compliments to be borne home shoulder-high. This respectable guillotine we hope to behold once more, and perhaps only once, the Parliament not even once, but let it be engulfed unseen by us. Meanwhile, such things, cheering as they are, tend little to cheer the national creditor, or indeed the creditor of any kind. In the midst of universal portentous doubt, What certainty can seem so certain as money in the purse, and the wisdom of keeping it there? Trading, speculation, commerce of all kinds, has as far as possible come to a dead pause, and the hand of the industrious lies idle in his bosom. Frightful enough, when now the rigour of seasons has also done its part, and to scarcity of work is added scarcity of food, in the opening spring there come rumours of forestallment there come king's edicts petitions of bakers against millers and at length in the month of april troops of ragged lackalls and fierce cries of starvation these are the thrice-famed brigands, an actual existing quotity of persons who long reflected and reverberated through so many millions of heads, as in concave multiplying mirrors, become a whole brigand world, and like a kind of supernatural machinery, wondrously move the epos of the revolution. The brigands are here, the brigands are there, the brigands are coming not otherwise sounded, the clang of Phoebus, Apollo's silver bow, scattering pestilence and pale terror, for this clang too was of the imagination, preternatural, and it too walked in formless immiserability, having made itself alike to the night, Necticos. But remark at least, for the first time, the singular empire of suspicion in those lands, in those days. If poor famishing men shall, prior to death, gather in groups and crowds, as the poor field-fares and plovers do in bitter weather, were it but that they may chirp mournfully together, and misery look in the eyes of misery. If famishing men, what famishing field-fares cannot do, should discover, once congregated, that they need not die while food is in the land, since they are many, and with empty wallets have right hands, in all this what need were there of preternatural machinery? To most people none but not to french people in a time of revolution these brigands as Turgot's also were fourteen years ago have all been set on enlisted though without tuck of drum by aristocrats by democrats by d'orleans d'artois and enemies of the public weal nay historians to this day will prove it by one argument these brigands pretending to have no victual nevertheless contrived to drink nay have been seen drunk an unexampled fact. But on the whole, may we not predict that a people with such a width of credulity and of incredulity, the proper union of which makes suspicion and indeed unreason generally, will see shapes enough of immortals fighting in its battle ranks and never want very peak or machinery. Be this as it may, the brigands are clearly got to Paris in considerable multitudes, with sallow faces, lank hair, the true enthusiast complexion, with sooty rags, and also with large clubs, which they smite angrily against the pavement. These mingle in the election tumult, would fain sign Guillotine's cahier, or any cahier, or petition whatsoever could they but write. Their enthusiast complexion, the smiting of their sticks, bodes little good to any one, least of all to rich master manufacturers of the suburb Saint Antoine, with whose workmen they can sort. End of book four, chapter two.